The other day, I was greeted by my child's preschool teacher who said, You know, your child has quite the secure attachment style. They are so kind and gentle. They seem so loving and so trusting. It's great to see how wonderful they are in the classroom, and I can't help to think that some of that comes from you. Gee, me? What could I say back to the preschool teacher? In my head, I thought, You've got to be kidding me. I've made so many mistakes as a parent. I had a moment of disbelief that anyone would tell me this. But what was I going to say? I said, thank you. This got me thinking. How was I even fostering a secure attachment style? And if I was fostering a secure attachment style in general, why did it feel like things weren't as secure when it came to my child and their relationship with feeding and with food? I want to discuss that today. I want to discuss what the secure attachment style is. I want to discuss how to help foster it and how to help your child to develop a a relationship around food and feeding that is based upon this secure attachment style. A relationship that is positive and that will help move them forward on their feeding journey where they are learning to recognize their love of good, nutritious food. I'm Dr. Evka, the mom at the playgroup who's in charge of the food and the lecture series, empowering other mothers when something seems off with their children, sharing mindset work when it comes to motherhood, medicine made understandable, and mastery of your child and who that child is when they have food intolerances, feeding challenges, or other of your concerns. You've heard that I'm a family doctor, a feeding physician, a life coach, a nutritionist, and a best-selling author. But if you ask me, I will tell you, I'm another mom just like you. And I'm your friend. Just remember that this information is being shared for educational purposes only and some of it's opinion-based. If you have a specific medical concerns, please see your regular doctor. That's not me. Do you ever have one of those moments of introspection? One of those moments where you ask, what am I doing to help my child? What am I doing to be a good parent? What kind of job am I doing in parenting? Have you caught yourself thinking, oops, I should never have spoken to my child in that way. How about another type of moment? A moment where you said, man, I'm so glad that I said things in the way that I did. Sometimes the words that we use can make a big difference. Sometimes what we could say can make a huge negative difference. And sometimes it works in the opposite way. You get a positive result. I want to discuss a recent episode where what I said made a huge negative difference. And then I will type into parenting and where you may be on your parenting journey. Are you ready, friends? Things are about to get deep. Anyway. If any of you have read the FPI's handbook, you'll get to see a section where we discuss the medical costs of some medical conditions. Their big costs can make a big difference in the money the families have for the rest of their lives. Do you remember the story of the family who bought a fixer-upper with plans to renovate it? It's in the FPI's handbook. 
Then they got caught up in medical costs and wound up having to continue to live in their fixer-upper, one that was not renovated. Well, that's a story with which I can identify. If anyone thought of the doctor's lifestyle, you'd be surprised regarding how that looks in reality, at least how it looks in reality for my family. If you thought that a doctor lives in a large, lavish house, I have news for you. Our house is small. It's tiny. In fact, it's so small that once people figure out who lives in it, they go, No way! We have a school teacher on a single income as a neighbor, and his house is bigger than ours. They were more able to afford the renovation that got them their current house, whereas our money was used in other ways. If you are a parent of a child with certain medical conditions or special needs, you so identify. I think you do, right? That some of this can be so expensive. Anyway, we finally thought about adding on a small addition because moving isn't so much of an option for us. What's your area like right now with houses? With the start of COVID-19, did the real estate market around you go crazy? Because it certainly did around us. So many of the houses around us are selling for way, way, way above asking price. And many are accepting only cash offers. Downs where real estate previously took months or years to sell are now proclaiming, It's a miracle! We're getting so many housing bids. I've actually been to um, Facebook groups in some local towns, and that's what the people have been trying for years to sell their houses are now saying. It's like a miracle happened all of a sudden. Their houses are selling really fast. In this market, we spoke to a general contractor. Now, most general contractors in our area right now won't return our phone calls. A few do, but they're more of the exception to the norm. Finally, one contractor returned our phone calls. However, the conversation went something like this. I would call the contractor. He would say, I'll get back to you with a quote on how much it would cost to get the renovation done in your house. I promise to have it ready for you by the end of the day. Then he would not do what he said he would do. I would call again after about a week and ask, What happened? We're still waiting. The response back would be, Let me call you back by the end of the week. He would not call us back. I would wait another week or so and call him again. This time, he would say that he would have a quote for us by the end of the weekend. Guess what? The weekend happened and there was no quote from him. Eventually, after many months of this ongoing conversation, we did get a quote from this general contractor. He then asked us, Are you ready to work with me? And that's when I said something that changed the relationship. I said, We would love to work with you, but I have a worry. I gave concrete examples of how he would tell us one thing and not follow through. He would make all of these promises but not deliver. It was decreasing my trust level. It was a conversation that was factual and not about him. It was about my worries regarding his prior actions and what that meant for his reliability. What did the contractor do? He sent me a very nasty text message. Although I was, will spare you some of the details, he basically told me that how dare I question his reliability and his integrity. He's an amazing person. He hopes that I go 
beep, 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 beep off. As he does not need me, I need him, and he is wonderful. How dare I question him in any way? Okay, point noted. If I want our house to better fit my family, perhaps now is not the time to call our people on their untrue talk. One of the take-home messages is that criticism can be hurtful and people can lash out if they feel hurt, even if you're not directly saying anything mean about them, just by pointing out their facts. It can be hurtful. What does this have to do with your child and feeding? Let's say that your child eats very slowly or is very picky with their food choices. You keep criticizing them. You say things like, you're not eating fast enough. You're not eating enough of a variety of foods. Look how everybody else in the family is eating differently than you do. You're slowing us all down. How do you think that that child feels after hearing this? How about inadequate, unworthy, or hurt? How about angry with you or upset at you for this feeling? Now let's expand on our criticism of our child's feeling a little bit. Whatever it is that you say, imagine that your child, as they grow older, asks, Did you not like to eat more slowly or the same foods as a child as well? Didn't you like to just focus on the same foods that you really enjoyed and just enjoyed them without having to expand your palate so much? Didn't you eat more slowly as a child? Did you not like to do that? To this, you might answer, no. You may think back to your own childhood when you were growing up. Your parents often pushed you to eat quickly because they were busy and they thought that your feeding was too slow. Your parents wanted you to expand your palate of food choices. Your parents wanted you to also eat in a certain way. In fact, their expectations regarding how you should eat became so ingrained as a part of you that you thought that this is how everyone should eat. That includes your child. Now, if you think back to how you feed your own children, do you have a mental model of how that feeding relationship should look? A model that stems from your own experiences that helped shape you? Think about it for a moment. Truly, spend some time pondering that. And when you're ready, I want you to go back and listen to the rest of this episode. It's not going anywhere. You can go over this episode as much as you want. In the meantime, I'm going to do a commercial interruption. If you want individual coaching on this, you can work with me one-on-one. Just contact me on the website of the Feeding Physician or Dr. Evka. If you recall, I'm a certified life coach and we can have a conversation about how you're feeling. Just contact me in the work with me section. Commercial over. Are you back from my episode? I left you in a place where I asked you to think about your own relationship with your child. I asked you. Now, if you can think back to how you fed your own child, do you have a mental model of how the feeding relationship should look? A model that stems from your own experiences that help shape you? I want you to be more mindful of what you are doing and how those beliefs come from your prior experiences. 
Think about the strong emotions that you've had in your life. What emotions in your life do you have when it comes to food? I'll give you one example from my own life because you are my friends and I share. When I was a child, my family escaped communism and we lived in a refugee camp for a while. Food at the refugee camp was not the greatest. It was pretty bland. We had bread with jam for breakfast. I don't recall lunch much and dinner was usually just spaghetti. Yep, that's it. Spaghetti. Across the street from the refugee camp was an ice cream store. It sold all of this amazing ice cream from the fence that separated the refugee camp from the rest of the world. I would watch little children going into the ice cream store with their families. They would come with beaming faces and cones of ice cream with the most beautiful colors. The happiness, the laughter, it came from outside the refugee camp walls. Then, one day, my family gave me a special treat. My dad worked these crazy hours doing menial jobs outside of camp. Some of it was in construction, and he would come home with hands covered in scraps and cuts from what he had to do. Lots of scrapes, lots of cuts, lots of manual construction. All for pennies. He was a refugee. He wasn't even paid minimum wage. He wasn't paid much, but those pennies added up. Eventually, they became an insurmountable sum for me as a young child, a huge amount of money for me in those days. Then guess what my dad did? He told all of us, What would you like more than anything today? We unanimously wanted a better life for ourselves. We wanted political freedom, lack of oppression, and the American dream, but we all also wanted ice cream. Thus, as a family, we opened up the gates separating the refugee camp from the rest of the world. We walked across the street and straight into this ice cream store. It felt like we had crossed over to another world. There it was. Well, we were so vying. We went into the ice cream store and stared as people might do if the most glorious thing just happened to them. If they went home on the television show, for instance. If their wildest dreams came true. We stared all of that amazing ice cream. And then we were asked, What flavor would you like? We just pointed. My family paid for it. And the next thing I know, that first bite, all of that taste of chocolate, it melts in your mouth. Ooh. Ah. The joy of that experience is something that I'll remember to this day. It is an experience that I try to recreate. Years later, when we finally came to the United States and we were able to afford it, we went often to the ice cream store. Then when my child was born and we no longer had an allergy to it, guess what I bought tons of? Ice cream. Now, imagine if my child just did not like ice cream. For whatever reason, my child just did not like ice cream. I would have such a reaction to it. I would not understand why my child did not like ice cream for me. Liking ice cream represented joy. I would be sad for my child. I would want to figure out how to get them to like ice cream too. Why? Because I wanted them to experience joy. The problem is that I cannot get anyone to like ice cream. They have to develop that taste on their own. 
I also cannot get anyone to experience joy in the same way that I do. I know all of this on an intellectual level. I also know that if I chose to get my child to eat ice cream by brute force, it wouldn't work. By making them sit at the table until they eat, my child's relationship with ice cream might not be one of joy. Instead, that relationship might be one where the child remembers that ice cream as a power struggle, not the same joyful experience with ice cream that I had. By examining my own past, I can get a better sense of how I behave when it comes to parenting. Perhaps there's another way that I can behave instead of relying so much on my emotions. What's the other way? Well, guess what? You're about to hear about it. There are a few steps. The first step is to truly be present with your child. To truly be present means to see them for who they are. In the example above, being truly present consists of realizing that I do not have the same life as my child does. I do not have the same life experiences. My child is not me. I need to understand my child and allow them to act just like they are. I need to think about what my child will be like as an adult. Will they stand next to another friend and say, You know what? My mother was not perfect, but I always knew she loved me. She was always in my corner, even when I got in trouble, or even when I didn't like the food that she really liked. Let me not ignore my child's feelings. My child does not want to eat that particular food today, and that's okay. I will continue to expose my child to that food. I will offer plenty of opportunities for the child to see how enjoyable the food is. Even if they do not want to have a full meal of it today or take a lot of bites of it, I'm going to be okay. Okay, so that's step one. Then there's step two. The second step is to try to understand your child through the framework of curiosity. I say this because sometimes when a child does something that we don't expect, we might ask, why? We might assign reasons for the behavior that might not serve us well. However, when we are curious about that behavior, we might look at it from a different perspective. Take the child who is refusing to eat the food on the table. And you're asking yourself, why is that? Is my child just never hungry? Why are they always just refusing? Why are they refusing to eat with me? And you can think about that as a child being obstinate or just not hungry and maybe having some kind of a mental problem or whatever it is that you happen to be thinking. But imagine the child. Imagine what it is like through the child's perspective. That child is a mini scientist. They are observing the world around them. They're trying to make sense of that world. Maybe they're refusing the food right now because they're getting used to seeing it, to smelling it, and to watching everybody else's reaction before they make an opinion or a reaction of their own. Maybe they're a child who does a little bit swar- to warm up, to just a little slow to warm up. That's their temperament. And so the experience of something new takes a little bit of time to get used to. Or imagine the child who you just gave a bunch of cereal to. 
And that child, instead of putting the cereal in his mouth, is taking the cereal onto the spoon and flinging the spoon as far as they can onto the floor next to them. Now you, as a parent, might be like, why are they doing this? There's going to be so much to clean up afterwards. I'm going to take out my vacuum cleaner, my mop. It's going to take forever. So you might not understand why the child is flicking the food off the table. But from a developmental standpoint, again, this child is being a scientist. They're watching what's happening to the food. They're making inferences about what they see and how their behavior of throwing the cereal is leading to something showing up on the floor. Maybe not close, maybe far away. Maybe they're adjusting their aim just to kind of figure out where it'll go. Looking at it from a sense of curiosity may give you a different perspective as to why your child is doing what they are. And then there's a third step that is recommended to take. And that step consists of making time for them. Making time for them to truly listen to what they want to tell you. Because as your children get older, they're going to develop more of these verbal skills, hopefully. And you will be able to have conversations. You can ask them things. You can ask them about their day. You can ask them about what it was like to eat that particular food. You can describe it together. You can talk about it together. Not so much in like a lecturing way, but more of a how was it your day kind of um, conversation where the topic of that food happens to be brought up. Because when you give yourself moments to talk to your child and to truly listen to what they have to say, they will feel more heard, they will feel more loved, and you will get a better understanding of their behavior. By giving a better understanding of their behavior, you might be less apt to judge them either harshly or incorrectly. You will have a better sense of who they are. And by having that better sense, you might be able to understand a little bit more about why they have so many difficulties when it comes to the food. Plus, they will have a better relationship with you. Because that relationship will be one where they feel heard and they feel loved. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Dr. Evka podcast. I look forward to speaking to you again around the same time next week. Please contact me on my website if you have further questions. Also, if you like this episode, please rate it five stars for good measure. Look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you.